can we give God a hand of praise for the worship team and Maddie and Brandon? Man, oftentimes when the worship's done, I'm like, I already went to church, and then, you know, I got to get up here and do my thing. So, um, but again, I am happy to be here. Um, my name again is Graham Wilson. I am the executive pastor here at Wellspring Church, and it is an honor, and I don't say this facetiously. It is truly an honor uh, to be a pastor here. It's truly an honor to uh, come alongside all of you. Um, I know for my wife and I, Heather, um, every day we get to interact with you and just see what God is doing in your life, and it is a blessing to do that. Um, But I don't know about you, but I have certainly been enjoying the better weather. Right, We still kind of yo-yo back and forth, but it's coming, and we've had some 60, 70-degree days, and I am living it up. But I don't know why you enjoy it, but for me, there's a particular reason why I enjoy warmer weather. You see, I have this craving, I have this restlessness, and it can only really be solved in the summer season, and that is ice cream. Okay, now I need to, I need to talk about this right now. In my life, there is a hierarchy. It goes Jesus... Heather, and then like one tick under Heather is ice cream. And during the summer season, like it is ice cream season. So what you do is, right, you go to the ice cream parlor and like you kind of see all the different, yeah, old school parlor. Um, You see all the different flavors and then they have these things, right? They have these little spoons, man. I am pro little spoon. And what you do is you get a taste test. Right, you get to look at all the flavors and you just get to like look at all of them and say like, which one is for me? And, and you get to try them. And, but here's the problem. Um, after a taste test, I'm never quite satisfied. I've never walked into an ice cream place and, and just kind of tried a little taste of some ice cream and then, and then left. Maybe you have self-control, that is not me. After I taste, I need the two scoops, the marshmallow sauce, and the whipped cream, right? But here's the other problem is um, I'll have the ice cream, and then I'll go home, and I promise you that the next day, there is another ice cream that I want. Right, right, like that, that first one is never quite satisfying. It, it never quite fills the need. Here's the reality. We all, as humanity, have a deep craving and a restlessness deep inside of us. And this is something the world loves to try and answer for us. Um, This week, I was doing some light research. I was reading some research papers on neuroscience. I don't know how you spend your free time. Um, That's how I spend mine. And, And as I was studying this neuroscience on the topic of craving, the surprising thing is, is science backs this up. There is is something deep inside of us that needs to be satisfied. It needs to be satisfied, yet we never quite, no matter what we do, it's never quite there. Um, And the hard thing about this is uh, these research papers are like free to everybody. So you have people like advertisers and marketers read these same research papers. And they've been trying to sell us something. In the 1950s, the Depression was over. And uh, the depression was over, jobs were good, the war was good, money was good, and advertisers began selling a lie. And that lie was the American dream, and here's what that dream sells, is that more, newer, and better is what's going to satisfy you. More, newer, and better is what is going to satisfy that craving, that restlessness, that thing you have inside of you, 
is more newer and better. And they know all the triggers to hit, right? They know all the triggers to hit. It's just one more tap of the credit card. It's, it's just one more suggestive video on TikTok, one more trip to Target, one more like on Instagram, one more glass of wine, or one more hit in the arm. They, they, they try and sell us a temporary fix to a deeper problem. So we have this craving inside of us that just never seems to get satisfied, but we also have this restlessness. There's something in us that is desiring rest, but no matter what, we just can't seem to find the answer. And, and society tries to sell us on the idea that, that, man, you will experience rest once busy is over, right? You're going to be busy now. On the other side of busy, rest can be found. I don't know if you've noticed but the number one uh, response that you get when you ask someone, like, how are you doing? I'm busy. Right, right, John, 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 how are you doing this week? Oh, man, busy. Oh, Ashley, how's life going? What's going on in your life? I'm busy. This has become our identity, that I am busy. And this starts when we're young. If you're a high schooler in the room, I remember because when you're in high school, you start getting questions like this. Um, man, how are your grades doing? Yeah, yeah, did you figure out what college you're going to yet? Um, have you figured out what you're going to do with your life? Do you have a boyfriend or girlfriend yet? When are you getting engaged? When are you getting married? When are you going to start having kids? Did you buy the house yet? When are you going to get the promotion? And we spin and spin and spin. You know, when are you going to be that perfect housewife? When are you going to be that perfect dad? Have you started saving for retirement yet. And we get stuck in a cycle. Society sticks us in a cycle that it's next, 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 next. It's always the next thing. And we're trapped. We're stressed out. We're maxed out. We're tapped out. We're chasing and chasing, spinning and spinning, all because we have been sold of lie that this is how it's supposed to be. The American Institute of Stress, this was shocking to me. I mean, not really, though. 33% of people report this year that they are feeling extreme levels of stress. What this means is like hospital grade. There is something in your life. There is so much stress on your life that you have hospital grade stress. 77% of people, 80% say that their stress is affecting their physical health. That means in this room, 80% of you are at a point where your, your stress is affecting your physical health. 73% says it's affecting your mental health. Friends, I, I don't know where you're at today, but many of us have paid a high price for the enemy's biggest lie. That that craving, that restlessness that you have inside of you can be satisfied in everything else but God. We live busy lives chasing more and feeding our cravings with empty things. We were all born with this deep desire for satisfaction, this deep desire for craving and rest. What if as followers of Jesus, what if as followers of Jesus, we decided to crave a new way? And let me say it like this. What if as followers of Jesus, we decided to crave an ancient way? What if instead of more, newer, and better, we lived a life of enough, perfect and best? What if we lived a rhythm of rest instead of a rhythm of restlessness? Church, there is a better way. It, it, it's an old way. 
It's the Jesus way. It's the Sabbath way. And this morning, we're going to go back to the beginning. Um, I don't know if you've ever had a season in your life where, where things were, were getting intense and there was stress and there was pressure and, and the circumstances. And in your life, you knew you needed to go back to the beginning, right? You needed to go back home. Well, today, we're going to go back to the beginning to discover an ancient truth that's going to help you and I chart a new way forward. So today, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 2. If you want to turn there, you can. But I want to set the scene for us as we look at Genesis. Genesis is the first book of the Bible. When you get to Genesis 1, Genesis 1 starts off incredible. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If you've never read Genesis 1, do it. It's like mind-blowing. God spends six days creating everything, the moon and the stars, the cosmos, the universe, the plants and animals. I'm like, it's an incredible, incredible scene. And then God gets to the sixth day and says, I am satisfied. It is good. And then we get to Genesis chapter two, where we're going to start in our text this morning in verse one. And it reads this. Nicole read it for us. Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished and all the hosts in them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested. Everyone say rested. Rested. And on the seventh day, from all his work he had done, so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, God rested. Everyone say rested. rested. From all of his work that he had done in creation. What we're reading here is at the very beginning, God began weaving a thread, weaving a thread of of rest through the fabric of creation. God began weaving a thread of rest through your literal DNA. And here's some observations from the passage, and I think this is important. God did not rest because he was tired. God rested because he was finished. God did not rest because he was tired. God rested because he was finished. At the beginning of the creation story, there's a key thing we need to understand about the character of God. Isaiah 40 says, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the earth. He never goes tired or weary. God rested, and the Hebrew word for rested is sabbat or sabbath or ceased because he was finished with his creation and he stopped and said, I am delighting and it is good. The next is for God, the rest day was the blessed day. The rest day was the blessed day. In my humanness, I don't understand this. This is where when I was reading this, I'm like, God, maybe maybe you missed something. Like you just spent six days creating everything. Like God, maybe you want to bless the day that you created. Like, have you ever seen the Milky Way? Like, God, maybe that's the day that you want to bless. No. God, maybe you want to bless the day. Have you ever seen a puppy? Like, like puppies are the cutest thing ever. Like, like God, maybe you want to bless the day that you made a puppy. No, God is giving us a new hierarchy, a new priority, that the blessed day, the holy day, was resting and delighting in his finished work. Now, there's something important that I I don't want to miss over when we talk about rest is is that work is also important. Uh, God worked for six days and and then rested. Laziness was not on the agenda for God. God worked, but what we also have to understand is that 
It was not the goal. God blessed the rest day, not the work day, and we can't get our priorities mixed up. This is a powerful lesson for us. God is showing us that that work days are not the days that sustain us. Some of you in this room need to hear that again. Work days are not the days that sustain us. For some of us, days one through six have become the idols of our heart. You see, it's the work that protects me. It's my family that sustains me. It's my money that carries me. No, those are just the appetizer to the great event that we stop and rest and delight in God. Then the last thing is rest wasn't about you. This rest wasn't about you. It was about God. This is important too. Um, Humanity isn't listed anywhere in these verses. I don't know if you catch that. This rest was uniquely about God. At this point, man had no need for this type of rest. Man was fully in relationship with God. He was fully delighted in God. He was fully rested in God. Adam was living a a 365-day-a-year vacation, living in paradise. He was satisfied, and God called it good. God had just got done creating the moon and the stars, everything. He worked for six days, and on the seventh day, he blessed it. He called it rest, and then something happened. And that's when we get to Genesis chapter 3. And in kind of the Christian circles, we call Genesis chapter 3 the fall. See, in this chapter, we see that man had started to believe the world's biggest lie, and that's FOMO, the fear of missing out. And you see Satan rolled up his sleeves and gets on the scene and he starts asking questions. He says, you know that satisfaction that you feel in God? He's lying to you. You know that that satisfaction you feel like he's holding out of you. You know that rest that you, that 365 days a year that you feel and experience in God? There is something more, there is something newer, and there is something better. And Adam and Eve bit the fruit and allow sin to destroy their perfect relationship with God. In the beginning, we had full rest. We had full satisfaction. We had a perfect relationship with God. And they bit the lie and they didn't even question it. Satan found a crack in Adam and Eve's heart. And the question is, has he found the crack in your heart? Adam and Eve were sold a lie, and many of us today are believing and chasing the same lie. We're chasing the newer thing. We're chasing the next thing. We're exhausted. We're craving. Have you bought into the lie that God is not enough? Well, then after the fall, God has to roll up his sleeves. And God begins the process of of restoring creation back to himself. And that's where we pick up this idea of the Sabbath. The first time that we hear Sabbath in the Bible is in Exodus chapter 16, and it's the confines of when God was providing manna to the nation of Israel. You see, the Jews were in the wilderness, and God was supplying all of their needs. Days one through six, he was supplying manna. They didn't have to worry about anything. And then what God said to them, listen, on the sixth day, you need to store up manna for two days, because on the seventh day, I'm not giving you manna. You have to work ahead of yourself. What God was teaching is that God will sustain them and God is enough. 
on the seventh day, they needed to trust God that he had supplied all of their needs. Well, then we move forward and and we see Sabbath cemented in the nation of Israel in the Ten Commandments. In Exodus 20, it is the fourth commandment. God makes Sabbath a commandment. We read in verse 8, it says this, Remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but on the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son, your daughter, male or female servant, animals, or any foreigner that resides in your towns. For it is six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that was in them. He rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath by uh, and made it holy. The intention of the original Sabbath for the Jewish people is that God and his people could rest in relationship again. That was the message of the original Sabbath. This is an amazing picture that leaves us wanting more. A taste of something better yet to come. Now we fast forward in the Bible and Jesus arrives on the scene. And we've been looking at many of the key key texts in the gospel where Jesus has been talking about Sabbath. And you see, Jewish leaders in the Jesus day, what they had done is they put law after law after law on top of the Sabbath. And instead of Sabbath being a delight, instead of Sabbath being a day where you could just rest in God and and rest in how good he is and his perfect he is, the Jewish leaders had made Sabbath a burden. And Jesus reminds them of the true intent of the Sabbath, that our relationship with God and each other is what's most important. That on a Sabbath, we get to stop. We get to rest. We get to cease and persist and delight in our relationship with God. Jesus taught us that Sabbath was a gift, a gift fulfilled within himself. You see, Jesus fulfilled the law, so we're no longer under the burden of the law, but we're under the gift of grace through Jesus. So now as Jesus followers, we observe the Sabbath, we rest in Jesus himself. I think this is an important thing for us to realize is that when we take a Sabbath now, we get to rest in the grace that we've received from God. Because through Jesus, that relationship that was broken in the garden is now fully restored through the cross. We don't no longer rest in the finished work of creation we rest in the finished work of the cross. When Jesus walked out of the tomb on Easter, Easter's coming up soon. we got to start planning for that. I mean, Easter's coming up soon. And what he provided was a fully restored relationship in God. Our sins fully forgiven, our cravings fully satisfied, and full rest found in him. There's a pastor on the West Coast, West Coast, Best Coast. There's a pastor on the West Coast. Um, His name is John Mark Homer. And this guy is a phenomenal study on the topic of Sabbath. But he said this quote, and this so radically impacted me. The quote is this. If you want to experience the life of Jesus, you you need to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. If we want to experience the life of Jesus, we need to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. We follow a rhythm of Sabbath, not because it's law, because full rest is found in the character of God. Jesus took a Sabbath. Jesus enjoyed a Sabbath. He followed a rhythm, the rhythm of creation that his father had set in motion. 
and he stopped and delighted in his father. He rested. He just enjoyed creation. He enjoyed his friends, and he enjoyed his father. Our Sabbath no longer points to the past, but it points to our relationship with Jesus. And we're forgetful people. We take communion because we need to remember the cross. And we take the Sabbath in order to remember and to delight in the goodness of God. We rest in the only place that we can feel satisfied. Again, we've tried everything else, but we rest because we can only be satisfied in Jesus. To stop our busyness for a day, to trust God, to say God's going to sustain us, God's going to love us, God's going to take care of us. On Sabbath, we rest in delight in the finished work of Jesus and the goodness he has given us. And, and the Sabbath points to a future day that one day we will be in heaven and glory, resting in the full presence of God. No more pain, no more sickness. Sabbath is a beautiful thing. Full rest is possible because Jesus is alive. alive. The world has given us alive what's normal. The world has given us a lie of this was the way it was supposed to be, that you should be stressed out of your eyeballs, that you should be running on thin, that you should be go, 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 go. And God is saying, no, there's a different story. It's in the creation story. And this is our big thought for the text that we're looking at in Genesis is that full rest is found in the character of God. We see that in all the way in the beginning, all the way through the Bible. That full rest is found in the character of God. In church, so many of us are stressed out, maxed out, and tapped out. We're exhausted. We're chasing after anything and everyone except God himself. We've allowed the world to write our calendar. We, we say, listen, listen, uh, I'm going to write my calendar. I'm going to let the world set my priorities. I'm going to let the world set my agenda. And then we'll come to God and say, God, God, let me see where I can fit you in. God, when do I have time? You know, I, I think I have a, a little bit of time on Saturday. You know, I'll try to sneak in a prayer. I'll try to sneak in a, a Bible verse of the day. And then we wonder why we're tired. And then we wonder why there's this thing inside of us, that this craving inside of us we just can't seem to satisfy. And we wonder why we're stuck in a consistent state of restlessness. We chase after the rhythms of the world, the cravings of the world. We're hurried, rushed, busy, empty. But when we run to God, God says, be still and know that I am God. God is calling you to cease and to persist in a relationship with him. Jesus said, come to me and you will find rest. Full rest is found in the character of God. So here's the, the challenge I want you to think about. Some of you in the room need a lifestyle change. When I was in my early 20s, um, I was 80 pounds heavier than I am now. And um, I had tried lots of different things. I tried, you know, the diet route. And, and what would happen is they would last for a season. I don't know if you've ever been on that journey. They would last for a season, and you know, I would keep it off for a little bit. It wasn't until I decided I needed to make a lifestyle change that I kept that weight off. It wasn't until I redefined how my mind works and I said, listen, my life will now be defined that I will move more and eat less. 
The minute that I changed my lifestyle, it actually stuck. Some of you need a lifestyle change. Instead of just reading the words of Jesus, you need to start living the lifestyle of Jesus. Because Jesus had a tempo in his life. Rest, delight, work. Rest, delight, work. Rest, delight, and work. You need to maybe make a declaration in your life that you're no longer going to allow the word, the world to define you. You're no longer going to allow the world to define your calendar or your priorities or what you're rushing to or what's defining your life, but you're going to allow Jesus to define your life. That instead of more, newer, and better, you're going to choose enough, perfect, and best. And here's what this means for some of you. Uh, You're going to have to start actually doing it. You're going to have to start saying no. You're going to have to start in in the beginning of the week and say, where am I giving time to God this week? And then everything else filters in around it. When am I going to stop? When am I going to cease? And they're stressing that because you're going to have to trust. What happens if I take that day off? You know, I know God is calling me to rest, and, but if I take that day off, I don't know what I'm going to do. And, or that, that thing on my calendar, it's, so, it's really exciting, and it's a new opportunity. And Are you going to stop? Are you going to delight? And you're going to trust God that he's going to sustain you through that. Because if you don't schedule it, it is not going to happen. Um, when I was, uh, there was a mentor of mine when I was kind of developing in my 20s. And uh, he would often say this. He was also, he was a mentor, but also the CEO. And what he would do is he would call me in his office and he would say, Graham, in this moment, I'm going to take my CEO hat off. And in this moment, I just want to put like the friend hat on, the mentor hat on. I just want to talk to you kind of outside of work. And I want to do that this morning. I want to take my pastor hat off and I want to talk to you like we were at a table getting coffee and we were just having a conversation as friends. There's a quote by a guy named Adrian Rogers. And he says this, if Satan can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. If Satan can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. And some of you, Some of you are so busy, so chaotic, you you run into Sunday morning exhausted, burnt out, saying, I don't even know how I made it. Because you have scheduled your life in such a way that Jesus just gets what's left. Church, I worry the same for myself. Heather and I have the same conversation every single week of, we need to do this better. We're maxed to the extreme. Our calendars are full. There's no more margin left. And I'm tired of our relationships just getting what's left. I'm tired of the things that I value most just getting what's left. Are you tired? Are you in a place where you're saying, no, today is the day that I'm ready for a lifestyle change? All the way back in the book of Genesis, Satan found a crack. He found a crack in Adam and Eve's heart and he said, here's the lie that what will satisfy you, what will give you rest is more, newer, and better. Maybe this morning 
you need to declare a new way, an ancient way, the Jesus way, the Sabbath way, because the full rest is found in the character of God. So a question you need to ask today, is there a crack in your heart where if you've enjoyed the lie, you said, yeah, new, better, best is what I need. And Jesus is saying, no, I am what you need. So today, stop believing the lie. Do a lifestyle change. And enjoy and delight in resting in who God is. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you that you love us enough to want us to stop and delight in you. God, I think about the beginning of Genesis where you walked in the garden with Adam. That perfect relationship just resting in your presence. And God, let us find that. We have perfect rest in you. And God, if there's someone in this room today that is stressed out, maxed out, and tapped out, God, I pray that they will find full rest in you. That they'll say, I'm done living the world's motives. I've been sold a lie and it is not paid off. But God, I pray that they will stop and they will cease and they will persist in you. God, thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you that even when we buy the lie that you're still right there with your full level of grace and love to say, listen, I'm standing here waiting. Jesus, thank you for loving us. Thank you for caring for us. And in your name, amen.